Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Corey Cavanaugh coming to you with another episode of Life as a Nephrologist. I'm pleased to be joined uh, by Dr. Holly Kinsicki, uh, Associate Professor of Nephrology and Palliative Care uh, at Mount Sinai. Dr. Kinsicki is also the Director of the Geriatric Nephrology Clinic at Mount Sinai and is dual boarded in palliative care and nephrology. And so she's a, a tremendously busy person uh, and is well published uh, over the last years. And it seems 2020 has not uh, slowed that for her at all. She's continues to publish a, a lot of great studies and articles. So we'll be reviewing some of the, the data in uh, geriatric nephrology and conservative kidney management today. So Dr. Kinsicki, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So uh, this is life as a nephrologist. So the first question is always, how did you uh, become inspired to become a nephrologist and in particular, a, a palliative care physician and nephrologist? Um, so my, my love of nephrology really goes back to medical school. I, you know, was always had the mindset of going into internal medicine and I loved hospital medicine and I wasn't really sure where I wanted to focus. Um, my interest and my training. And then my fourth year of medical school, I took a pediatric nephrology elective and it was just really a life-changing experience. The doctor who ran the elective just made nephrology so manageable and it made so much sense to me that I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And the fact that nephrology is such a mix of inpatient and outpatient medicine that I still got to have that inpatient side, but also I'm able to develop these long-term relationships with patients. So it was just really the perfect fit for me. My interest in palliative care nephrology developed more in my training. We had a, a palliative care nephrologist at Mount Sinai, Dr. Swidler, who um, I worked with during residency and, and in my fellowship. And it just became so apparent to me the high needs of our chronic kidney disease and and stage renal disease patients um, that it just seemed like it made sense to do this extra training so that I could really deliver the best care possible to our patients. Yeah, it's um, it's something you know me personally. I, I was trained early in medical school and and palliative care as, as well. It was it was heavily emphasized all throughout my training. So. I'm so happy to to see that it's really come back in full force in terms of training nowadays with with dual programs popping up. So with that, an expert uh, as you are in this field, I have some some topics to discuss. And the first one is, and I'm I'm very fascinated by the the editorial response you wrote recently in Kidney Medicine. So this is in reference to an article. That was coming out of Tufts, uh, a survey of, of CKD four and five patients that was analyzing advanced care planning, and remarkably, in this study, only sixteen percent uh, of patients actually discussed uh, life-sustaining treatment. And what's even more interesting is that most of the patients trusted their nephrologist to know what they wanted, um, despite seemingly not having those in-depth conversations. So one, one that stands out to me is that I, I'm glad our patients trust us. On the other hand, we do need to, you know, objectively write down these things and address their, their wants and needs. So, so how, you know, nephrologists are clearly well-meaning people, of course. So how can we ensure that these discussions are had? Uh, what, what are your, some, some advice from you? Yeah. I mean, I think that 
nephrologists are so fortunate in the sense that, as I said earlier, we have this opportunity to to develop these relationships with patients, with their caregivers, um, and really help them navigate through a chronic illness. And you know, and I, I don't think that it's surprising that the patients, you know, trusted us to know what they wanted be- because of this relationship. That being said, you know, they're, I don't want to put this all on the, the, the nephrologist to do because, you know, we have, you know, limitations in our, our training for communication that some nephrologists may not feel comfortable having these discussions. Um, sometimes we may be limited in, in the time that we have with our patients in the office, but, you know, those being reasons aside, it shouldn't discount our responsibility to at least help start these conversations. And we do start these conversations when we talk about decisions about modality for advanced kidney disease. Um, You know, when we discuss dialysis, you know, in a sense, that is a life-sustaining therapy, and it should really dovetail nicely into having discussions about what else is important to patients. And, and, and their families. Um, you know, I, I do think that it is a rather unfortunate situation that we're in, in the sense that, you know, once a patient is on dialysis, all of a sudden they have this huge interdisciplinary team that helps take care of them. They have a, a nurse, they have a social worker, they have a dietitian, they have a doctor, they might have a nurse practitioner or a, a PA. And they have this huge team, but in our chronic kidney disease practices, many of them are lacking that big IDT support. And I think that that support is really important in helping have these conversations. You know, what can nephrologists do? So first, I think that we need to coordinate with the other providers in our patient's care. If a patient has a primary care doctor, um, discussing with them, um, any you know updates and in, in advanced care planning discussions that may have occurred. I'm talking to their cardiologist or their oncologist um, because really it has to be a, a team effort to have these conversations continue because they don't happen in one sitting. They happen over time, and they evolve as a patient goes through changes in their clinical situation. Um, so that would be my first recommendation. And and if there is a social worker or you know, a dialysis educator that is in, involved with the patient's care in the practice, you know, having them involved too can be very helpful. You know, as I said, I think that when we talk about dialysis, talking about other life-sustaining therapies and what's important to the patient is essential. Um, and one of the ways that we can remember to do this, I think, is, is set triggers for ourselves. So if one of our patients goes into the hospital and comes back to see us for a follow-up, you know, that should trigger us in our mind to say, you know, hey, I saw that you were in in the hospital for a week. You know, what was that like for you? If you ever had to go back in the hospital, is there anything different in the terms of the care that you received that you would want? And some patients might say, no, I would want everything exactly the same, and that's fine. And others may say, you know, I would never want to be in the intensive care unit or be on a respirator or get discharged to a rehab facility, you know, again. And I think that those type of opportunities to allow patients to reflect will naturally just engage us in conversations about what's important to them. That's a, you know, that's well said, of course, to sort of 
follow that, there's this interesting study by Saeed that um, was recently published about dialysis regret. I think uh, I completely agree with you. And that's interesting to hear that, you know, you, you really do. That's an interesting thought about how, you know, taking on their own experiences and trying to to convey that going in the future, you know, this is going to be arguably more of the same for a little while, even on dialysis. So um, yeah, having those conversations early and often, and I mean to ask you about that, um, the thought of over discussing on the other side of this spectrum, the thought of, of almost over, over discussing it and having the patient almost dread coming to see you because, oh my gosh, this is Dr. Doom and Gloom. You know, I, I, I'm cognizant of that. I gotta be honest. Like I, I really, I want to say these things and acknowledge them, but at the same time, I don't want them to, to come to me and think, you know, I'll have the, the DNR papers ready to sign or something like that. So is there a, a point at which we do it too much in some nephrologists or are, are, is you, are you pretty confident we're just not having these conversations enough or, or as you say, it's more about a multidisciplinary approach to sort of not necessarily take it out of our hands, but cover it more in total? Um, I mean, I, I can see it going both ways. Um, I mean, if, so for example, if I have a patient who saw their primary care doctor and I see that that primary care doctor documented that the patient's wishes were to be um, like a, a do not resuscitate, do not intubate, um, should they ever get, you know, very sick. I'm not going to rehash that conversation with them. You know, I'm going to say, you know, I saw that Dr. Smith, you know, had a really important and I'm sure difficult conversation with you about what would happen if you got really sick. And it sounds like you told them that you would want to, you know, die naturally and and peacefully and, you know, without pain. And, you know, I just want to make sure that whatever is important to you in making that decision, that we also value that in whatever decisions we make moving forward about treatment for your kidney disease. So it's not necessarily rehashing that conversation that happened, but it is reflecting on that to make sure that we're matching the values. In, in terms of like overdoing conversations, it's actually interesting because, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little like devil's advocate for you. Um, you know, there have been studies done of patients who want conservative management and they review the medical documentation of, of what the providers write in the chart about um, that decision. And what they find is that, you know, that decision is rarely accepted initially, unless the doctor or provider thinks that the patient would not do well on dialysis, they will, um, you know, push for dialysis. They will um, try to phrase conservative management with negative con connotations. They will even sometimes ask for a capacity assessment, right? So I think that, you know, we we could overdo the conversations about advanced care planning, but I think that we also may overdo conversations about dialysis in patients who very clearly do not want that. Yeah, yeah. So, so with that, that's, I'm glad you brought up, uh, of course, conservative management. So that's uh, one of the, they're the two major assumptions, I think, uh, especially by non-nephrologists, are it's either dialysis or death. And, um, and, and patients, um, or at least the non-nephrologist providers, 
I, I don't imagine they would ever really admit this, but the, the feeling that, you know, everybody probably does a little bit better on dialysis. I haven't been doing this book for two years, but I certainly know that's not the case. How can, um, for, how would you in your, in your clinic sort of frame these discussions in, in the sense, sort of like uh, when you ask the surprise question, you know, would you be surprised uh, if this patient survived six months on dialysis and, and yes or no? So how do we objectively say, as objective as we can, you know, I don't think you would do well on dialysis. And do we expect other physicians to more or less trust us or should we be using some sort of tool or calculator? Or there are a lot of times when you more or less just look at a patient and go, wow, this patient seems very frail to me. I can't imagine they would do very well on dialysis. So how do, how do we best break that sort of dialysis um, or, or sort of nothing and really get people thinking about conservative kidney management? Yeah. So that's a, that's a very good question. And I think that that's, um, you know, sometimes uh, I don't want to say conflict, but that's, that's something that I think happens a lot um, between nephrologists and other providers, because there's this default in the United States that, you know, chronic kidney disease equals dialysis and that there's no other option. And, you know, I think that, I think that some even nephrologists may default to chronic kidney disease, um, you know, leading to dialysis, you know, as well, especially if we're not comfortable with conservative management or have had experience with it. You know, I think that there's a, there's many ways to answer your question. Um, I think that the, the first is it's really important to know what the, the health priorities of the patient are. Because even with you know dialysis or death, um, that's the assumption that the goal of all of our patients are is to live as long as possible. And um, you know there was a study a couple of years ago by you know Raymer and, and and colleagues who looked at it was a little under 300 patients with chronic kidney disease stage four or five, and it asked patients to prioritize what their top health priorities were, and um, in you know almost half of the patients, the number one priority was maintaining their independence. It was not to live as long as possible. And you know, and I think that speaks a great deal that you know we don't always know what our patients want and value. So I think that one really making sure that we know what their values are, so that when we talk to the other providers about a decision for you know, conservative management, um, that there's reasons that we can help them understand why, you know, as you said, there's, there's a lot of great tools to kind of help us decide how someone will do on dialysis. The surprise question is one that's been well validated in chronic kidney disease and for patients on dialysis. Um, you know, there are, there are calculators, um, you know, geriatric assessments and, um, frailty and functional status, you know, all are ways that we can help assess who is at high risk of poor outcomes with dialysis. And that's really the take home is that, you know, I'm, I'm not, I can't predict exactly how long somebody will live on dialysis versus conservative management, but I can predict um, who is at a high risk of having a bad outcome on dialysis. And what I will tell patients if I'm worried about that is exactly that, is that I'm worried that 
dialysis may not extend your life as much as we would hope. And I'm worried that you might be at risk of having medical and functional setbacks with dialysis. And that's why it's really important for us to decide what's most important to you so that we can find the treatment plan that would best fit with that. You know, if a patient opts for non-dialysis or conservative management, you have to speak to their other doctors. You know, you have to have their care team on the same page because having another doctor say, no, you need dialysis when a patient clearly does not want that is going to make it difficult for the patient um, and also going to be, you know, difficult to, to really provide care in a, in a team fashion. Yeah, this is, um, you know, a handful of times, uh, seems like every year or so that get, that happens. So they, the patient winds up in your emergency department for whatever reason, and it always seems like it's after nine o'clock at night and on a Friday, <laughs> exactly. Which it's about five hours from now. So I really hope all my patients, <laughs> uh, but the ER physician, you know, invariably calls an nephrologist on call and, and it's so you're so right. It's so important to make these things clear to all providers and, and document well, because, um, I think that's my biggest fear is that my patient, we, you know, we do all this effort to, to align goals. And then in the blink of an eye, uh, can all be sort of, uh, for not, if you're not careful. So wonderful. Uh, the last, the last sort of topic I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing with you is addressing your, your recent publication in AJKD opioid management and chronic kidney disease. For, for those of you listening, if you haven't read it, please do. Um, it's, it's a comprehensive, wonderful, wonderful article. My first question is. I trained in uh, the era we we're just starting to get out of the, the opioid craze of, you know, pain is the sixth vital sign and uh, really ultimately hurting patients and, and worse. Um, so, so where are we in terms of kidney disease and end-stage kidney disease in terms of opioid prescribing, in your opinion? Have we is the pendulum actually where it needs to be? Or uh, I guess if you had a magic wand, do you, is it appropriate? Are we appropriately avoiding now uh, in the right patients? Or where, where do you think we're at as nephrologists? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's, hard, it's hard to know. Um, you know, many of our patients will have at least one opioid prescription over the course of a year. Um, and if you think about it, right, our, our patients go for surgeries often. They go for you know, a, a, an access surgery or a revascularization of that, and they may be discharged on opioids for a period of time post-op. You know, I think that for me, like the big question is always, how are we doing in, in treating the pain in our patients? And, you know, I think that study after study shows that we're still underappreciating really the symptom burden, especially the pain burden that our patients experience. Um, and it's, it's hard in our patients with kidney disease because we are limited in what we can give for pain, right? I mean, like the number one rule of chronic kidney disease is do not take NSAIDs, right? And every progress note that a nephrologist writes in the hospital, avoid NSAIDs. Um, but, you know, without that, you know, what are we left with? We're left with acetaminophen um, or opioids. So, 
I think that we are probably giving opioids more than we should because we're probably utilizing NSAIDs perhaps a little bit less than we should be. Um, you know, I think that newer research is coming out regarding the safety of them in certain patients with varying degrees of chronic kidney disease. And I also think that we are underutilizing our colleagues in, you know, physiatry or sports medicine or pain management where perhaps a patient can get some type of injection or, um, you know, more localized targeted um, intervention for their pain. That was, that was really, uh, you know, I hate, I hate to admit it kind of lost upon me, but after reading that article, I was like, oh yeah, duh. Like, uh, you know, the patient, I'm, I'm victim of it too. And that as soon as the patient goes on dialysis, it, the natural state is to blame everything on dialysis. Right. Um, and so of course they come in with, you know, chronic low back pain and neuropathy of just impingement, just like any other patient that isn't on dialysis would have. So that really, um, I, I really personally profited from, from that, uh, in your article. The thing I also drew from the article was appropriately selecting opioids, not necessarily type of opioid, but for goal-oriented therapy. And I just want to read this wonderful line in, in the article, and it goes, as opposed to opioid use disorder, tolerance, physical dependence, and withdrawal are expected consequences of chronic opioid therapy. Therefore, the presence should not warrant either opioid de-escalation or undue caution by both patients in, in clinical inadequately treating pain. So that, that says a lot to me in that you got to know what to expect. And as long as your patient and the provider understand goals here and, and consequences of this therapy, I think we got to be a little less timid, but taking with a grain of salt and knowing how powerful the drugs are. So you know, it's for those prescribers out there that are still hesitant, you know, I think that that sentiment really needs to be hammered home. And, and so I, I mean to ask you how, you know, in your day to day, how do you, how do you set and reassess these goals? Do you, you make it a, a point to go around sort of phosphorus, PTH, hemoglobin pain, or, or are you, is it a little bit more um, free than that? I guess. Um, I mean, I think that it, I don't know if I like have the check boxes like like that necessarily when I round, um, but I do try to um, at least discuss you know their their pain um, at least once during the month. And if it is an issue, um, then I you know I will bring it up more frequently than that, especially if we are initiating some type of treatment. I have you know patients who sometimes they can't get through a treatment because they have bad back pain um, or they have bad neuropathy. Um, and, and in those cases, if their pain goes untreated, then treatments will get cut short and, and that's putting them at a, you know, at a serious risk as well. So, you know, like I said, I, I round once a week, at least on one of those visits, I, I try to assess their, their symptoms, their physical symptoms. Um, and if I need to readdress it more than that, I will. If I, if I do start prescribing an opioid, um, I will set expectations. So I will, you know, speak with the patient and say, you know, unfortunately, pain is never going to go away completely. But we have to determine at what level 
is the pain going to be tolerable enough to you that you are able to do, you know, whatever it is that you're limited in doing now, whether it's getting through a dialysis treatment, whether it's, you know, being able to sleep at night or um, having the pain be low enough to be able to, to ambulate well. Um, and, and setting that as our goal when we go back to say, you know, how is this working for you? Um, so I think that setting expectations is, is really important. Great, great. I, I want to thank you for, um, I, I can't imagine how busy you are other than just extremely, uh, given, <laughs> given everything going on right now. Um, and uh, it's just such a, such a pleasure to have you on and, and sort of talking about, I think, one of the most important topics in, in chronic kidney disease. So uh, Dr. Kinsiki, thank you. Um, and everyone, if, if you haven't, uh, check out the core curriculum on this very topic. Uh, check out the opioid management CKD article. It is powerful stuff. So, and patients, uh, if you're listening, please bring this up to your nephrologist if they haven't about conservative kidney management and get some more information about it. It is, it is a viable and often preferred route. So uh, with that, again, thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Hi, everyone. I want to take a moment to announce with you an important opportunity regarding kidney care and advocacy. So as you may know, the National Kidney Foundation's Kidney Outreach Team is a growing group of professionals and community leaders who use their experiences and expertise to inform elected officials and other key decision makers on kidney-related legislation, policies, research programs, and education. We need to seek to change kidney disease health policy to improve care, quality of life, increase kidney transplantation and treatment of kidney disease. So our advocates meet with federal and state elected officials to build support for legislation in Congress and in their state capitals, including bills intended to prevent insurance discrimination against living organ donors, support living organ donation, and increase funding for programs to research and treat chronic kidney disease. We need you to make a better kidney policy possible. So to find out more information or get involved, please email NKF Advocacy, all one word, at kidney.org. Once again, that's NKF advocacy at kidney.org, or go to the link at the end of this episode's description. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks.